The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so they began to sink. But then Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart me from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Holy Gospel of St. Luke in the fifth chapter and serves as the basis of our theme for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, saved by his name. Have you ever been embarrassed about the way you interacted with someone the first time you met? Maybe it was a date. Perchance it was a job interview. Perhaps it was because you didn't recognize who they really were. And in that case, as soon as you realized it after, you about had a full-on meltdown freakout because of the way you behaved in front of them. Back in the early days of Camp Linhaven in North Carolina, where we held our summer confirmation week, I witnessed just such a freakout. It was one of our girls that did not want to go to camp because she was going to have to leave her neighborhood friends and her phone behind. She was freaked out about that, but that didn't dissuade her parents from making her go. And that wasn't her meltdown freakout of the week either. That came a couple of days in. She was talking with one of our boys from the school that she did not know well because he was not a member of our church and she did not attend our school. And he was a bit saucy when it came to his language, which she promptly pointed out by saying one day, what would your mother think of that language? Or, Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Or, your mother would be ashamed if she knew you talk like that. Or, something to that effect. I don't know exactly. Because I only caught the latter part of the conversation clearly. You see, we keep an eye out for blossoming summer romances at camp. Because of the drama it can create. And she appeared somewhat smitten with the young man's naughty side. Even though she communicated the opposite of that. So I was watching from afar, like a protective father, just to make sure it didn't get inappropriate at any point. Hormones, raging, and all that, you know. 
What I did hear clearly was his response to her flirty admonition and her subsequent embarrassment for herself when he said it. As soon as she referenced his mother, he curtly replied, My mother's dead. Now, let me be clear. All of us knew his mother died when he was very young, and he never really knew her. So he wasn't upset when he answered her and walked away. But this poor young lady freaked out and had an epic, epic meltdown of embarrassment. I quickly got her up to speed, so she didn't need to feel so humiliated. But the damage was done, and she avoided him the rest of the week because of it. Totally innocent. Not her fault. He wasn't upset. But the shame came, and she couldn't just shrug it off. Those encounters can stay with us and humiliate us for years to come, even when the people we were embarrassed in front of don't even remember it. It's happened to you, and it's certainly happened to me. We all want to furiously unring the bell, put the toothpaste back in the tube, or take out our men in black neuralizer and flash it in the eyes of everyone we know so they will never remember what we did. Ah, but the bell cannot be unrung. The toothpaste will not go back in the tube. And there is no such thing as a neuralizer unless the federal government is keeping it carefully hidden next to the Ark of the Covenant in that massive warehouse in D.C. So we live and learn, hoping to avoid foot-in-mouth syndrome in the future. As my father-in-law always said, God rest his soul, load your brains before you shoot off your mouth. Well, today, in both the Old Testament and the Gospel lesson, we have a couple of men who wished they had done just that. Because they realized who they were in front of, and not only were they humiliated, embarrassed, and humbled, they were terrified. Jeremiah, faced with Almighty Yahweh, knew that he was not up to any task that God would ask him to undertake and even begged God to pass him over as a speaker on behalf of the Lord God. Similarly, the prophet Isaiah, seeing the Lord sitting high upon his throne, cried, Woe is me! And Simon Peter, when he realized that Jesus was the God of the universe that could even create the fish that leapt into their nets, begged God in the flesh to leave his presence, lest his sinful reality overwhelm him instantly. Now that's embarrassment beyond anything any of us have likely felt. Gone is the boasting. Gone is the pride. All that is left in the presence of God is the sinner in shame. And to that I say... Yes, absolutely. Now we're right where we want to be. Right where we want to be is not typically a place of humiliation, is it? Usually it's a place of glorious achievement and recognition of all your hard work paying off. Like the way we recognize our stellar students here at Faith in National Honor Society in school. Years ago, I remember Mr. Hoffert reading this speech, A Wish for Leaders, at the induction of the new National Honor Society students, which read, 
I sincerely wish you will have the experience of thinking up a new idea, planning it, organizing it, and following it to completion, and then have it be magnificently successful. I wish that you could achieve some great good for humankind, but have nobody know about it except for you. I wish you could find something so worthwhile that you deem it worthy of investing your life within it. I hope you become frustrated and challenged enough to begin to push back the very barriers of your own personal limitations. I hope you make a stupid mistake and get caught red-handed and are big enough to say those magic words, I was wrong. I hope you give so much of yourself that some days you wonder if it's worth all the effort. I wish for you a magnificent obsession that will give you reason for living and purpose and direction and life. I wish for you the worst kind of criticism for everything you do because that makes you fight to achieve beyond what you normally would. I wish for you the experience of leadership, a full membership in the National Honor Society. Great speech, isn't it? I loved it the first time I heard it. But the part that really got me was this part. I hope you make a stupid mistake and get caught red-handed and are big enough to say those magic words, I was wrong. Now, I want to ramp that up just one more level for you. I hope you are confronted with a moment in your life that everything you've gained, your reputation, your material wealth and security, and even your very way of life might change that very moment in a terrifyingly final way. If you've had that experience, that is when you saw God more clearly than you ever have before in your life as the only thing that matters and then you felt peace. If this has not happened in your life, I pray it does. Because this is the moment that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Simon Peter all felt before the Lord God Almighty. They knew that everything they were was never going to be the same. And everything they had ever confidence in, faith in, compared little to the terrifying Almighty God that was in front of them. Then they all had peace, real, lasting peace knowing who God is and what God will always do for them. This was when Simon Peter stopped calling Jesus Master and started calling him Lord. And as scared as Isaiah was, as scared as Jeremiah was, and as scared as Peter was, they all had a right to be. This was when God said, your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. Stop fearing. Our God knows when we are terrified and in recognition of our sinful shortcomings before him. And our God comforts us with his love, forgiveness, and redemption for our sinful souls. And knowing that, we are at peace. Real peace like the world cannot give. 
Real peace like no army or navy can ensure. Real peace like no counselor or mentor can use to soothe our troubled hearts because it is only the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding and it is only that peace which takes to the heavens and beyond. This is when we can pick up the mantle of Christ knowing has sent me to proclaim this peace to others. And that is when we realize that he puts the words in our mouths to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant a new kingdom for God to his glory that will never be destroyed, even though the earth fall away and the heavens are no more. That is when we know it is time to cast forth our nets of the gospel to catch sinners so Christ can once again make them saints. No more boasting. No more pride. No more are we unrepentant sinners in shame. Rather, we are saints to the glory of God who have been saved by his name. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.